And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Nick Fulton. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Dylan Cuellar. And on this week's episode, we are talking about the 1941 film Citizen Kane, directed by Orson Welles, written and uh, written by Orson Welles and Herman Mankiewicz, Music by Bernard Herman, cinematography by Greg Toland, edited by Robert Wise. Mm-hmm. Learned that our today. Pro- <laughs> yeah, our production by Perry Ferguson, who we're going to have to talk about, and starring a bunch of people, including Agnes Moorhead, Ray Collins, Everett Sloan, Ruth Morick, Dorothy Comingor, Joseph Cotton, and of course, Orson Welles as Charles Foster Kane. Now, this movie... Do we even need to go into all the like accolades? It's it's uh, you know Good. widely considered the best movie of all time, or very high up there. Um, it's number one on the AFI list. It was number two on the Sight and Sound list for how many years is this? From 1962 to 2002 wow. until this past one, where it was usurped by Vertigo. Um, it had nine Oscar nominations. We could maybe get into that a little bit too but we'll get into it yeah Mm -hmm. there's a lot of interesting like behind the scenes stuff with this movie that's as interesting i think as the movie itself and and i want to shout out um one of its accolades as being one of the first of the inaugural group of 25 films um decided to be preserved by the united states national film registry for being culturally historically and aesthetically significant so always like to check in on which of these movies is uh part of the National Film Registry, and this was part of the first one. So, good for Citizen King. Speaking of uh, the sight and sound list, this was one of Ebert's 10 votes on his last uh, ballot in 2012. In in the commentary, he actually says he considers it the greatest movie of all time. I, I just want to say that, like, in front of the camera, the cast is pretty damn good. But from you reading that, like, list of the crew behind the camera controlling the production... That's about as all-star as you can get. That is incredible. Which is something I didn't know. I think so much of the like mythos around Citizen Kane is it of this like grand achievement of this one yeah. man. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's Orson Welles. Um, and then you take, yeah, so I had always thought of it that way. And then I'm seeing it has yeah, a Bernard Herrmann score, Robert Wise editing it. I was like, oh, okay. He had quite the, yeah, like you said, all-star production cast working on this. Yeah, and then like Robert Wise ended up becoming a very big. He, I think right. he won an Oscar for directing, two. which Wells never. I yeah, think two. Yeah, which Wells got zero. So <laughs> yeah, that uh, that stood out to me as well. That you know we have Robert Wise as editor who would go on to win multiple Oscars. Um, and yeah, poor poor Wells never happened for him. Yeah, and this was the only Oscar Wells won actually, which mm-hmm. he had to share with. Uh, Herman Mankiewicz, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll see more about that uh, later that. this year with, with yeah. David Fincher's film Mank. Mm-hmm. That's in uh, December, right? Early, I, th- I think, early at least early December on Netflix. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. 
I'm, well, I'm pretty sure it's this calendar year anyway. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. I, I feel like it year. has to be. I gotta say, Nick, I was really ready for you to like pull the rug in your introduction and make some sort of weird joke, and I was like, "What is he gonna make Citizen Kane be like?" Oh, he like would he never. Do. He would I, never I disrespect too... Citizen Kane by making its intro into a bit. Are you kidding me? I could have actually. You could have done like a Citizen Ruth. Citizen, thing, yeah, Citizen right? Ruth. It would have been. That's where you would have had to go with it for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Which I've never, I've never seen Citizen Ruth. I haven't either. No, no me too. <laughs> Just know it exists. Yeah. So, Dylan, you have seen this before. Many what times. were, you, yeah? What were your, uh, what kind of baggage were you bringing into this viewing? Uh, does one bring baggage to a perfect movie? I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know. Like I. I, I just. Uh, I'm. I'm not gonna quote too much from the Ebert review. I think the biggest quote unquote baggage was is at one point he mentions how this movie is so grand to him because he can never remember like what the next scene is gonna be or where the movie's going. I I knew almost like scene for scene watching it this time like what the next scene was. <laughs> But my favorite movies and my personal best movies are exactly the way he describes Citizen Kane for him. So I don't think that's like necessarily a slide on the movie, but I'm just so familiar with this movie at this point that like I just I know I know so many of the lines, I know so many of where each of the next scenes gonna be that I was just like just sitting down watching Citizen Kane. I watched it once with the normal track of audio and then I watched the Ebert commentary. And so that's about four hours of movie. It, I, 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 I was just unfazed. It just went by so quickly. Yeah. I noticed that line, too, that he said about how he's, you know, watched it shot by shot a million times. And yet he still, the scenes kind of just float around, which stood out to me because we talked about that a little bit a couple of weeks ago with Casablanca, which is how I feel about that movie. <laughs> a movie I've seen a million times, but sort of all the scenes just kind of float around. It's just and, an and absorption. I think, right. And I think... At first, I didn't think they had that much in common, but they both do obviously rely very heavily on flashbacks for mm-hmm. sometimes extended periods, which I think contributes to that as well, because you kind of jump in and out of chronology. So, but I, I thought that was an interesting note he made. And Jana, for you, this was your first time seeing this. It was, yeah. Um, neither Matt nor I had ever seen it before, so we were excited to watch it. Just one of those things that at a certain point, like, once I made it so far without ever having seen Citizen Kane, I was like, well, when am I going to watch it? Like, <laughs> and it, gets, it gets so built up that I just didn't, I, I ended up being very grateful to have this podcast as an excuse to watch it. Because, yeah, you, I think I probably basically made it to being like 25 years old and was like, I've never seen Citizen Kane. How can it live up? Like, what, 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 like you said, what kind of baggage, like sitting down to watch this movie and thinking, okay, movie, impress me. Prove to right, me that yeah. you truly are the greatest movie of all time. So definitely consciously did not do that. You know, tried to avoid having that um, pressure on it. Although it's hard because it, it, it's, you know, one of, like you said, it's one of the most famous movies of all time and has been lauded as one of the greatest films of all time for 80 years. So, um, yeah, it, but it was, I was very grateful to have the sort of homework assignment to watch it so that I just mm-hmm. had to sit down and do it and be like, all right, I'm going to watch this movie. And yeah, pretty good. Pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. Yeah, pretty good movie. It's, I'd be curious, and I'm sure we'll get into it more, and you guys probably have more context from if you listen to the various commentaries, but I am curious about this film's journey to becoming, like, the greatest film of all time. Because just doing some cursory due diligence 
you know, it sounds like it was very critically lauded, but it sort of wasn't a gigantic hit, and it only sort of resurfaced in the culture maybe a little, you know, a few years later. So I'm just, you know, it's extremely good, and I'm, I'm just curious about its journey to being sort of the consensus, this is it, this is the greatest film of all time, which I find fascinating. Yeah, so part of that, um, I actually read a book, I have it right here actually, called The Making of Citizen Kane mm. by Robert Carringer. Cool. And so a lot of the, the Mankiewicz stuff, like not the writing of it, but the lore around him writing it and people uh, for a time were under the impression that Wells didn't actually write any of it, that it was all just Mankiewicz. And that was something that Pauline Kael was sort of um, not behind, but like in part responsible for because she oh, did uh, a lot of the writing on that and I think she was close with either Mankiewicz or his family so some of that stemmed from there and mm. if you guys have seen The Other Side of the Wind there's actually a, a female film critic character um, who is sort of a Pauline Kale stand-in and mm. uh, Wells was not a fan of not her a fan. Be- sure. <laughs> because he um, because of that uh, mm-hmm. like he felt slighted by her and I'm trying to find the quote here we go um this is, it says, uh, a deeply injured Wells likened the job of cleaning up his kale-soiled reputation to picking up shit with gloves. And he said, the gloves keep getting shittier, but the shit doesn't get any glovier. <laughs> Yikes. Also, just kale-soiled reputation is a really good line <laughs> yeah. in general. That's harsh. Oh, uh, Pauline. Yeah. So I had I so I I had wondered about that because I had definitely heard that. Like I knew Mm -hmm. that there was some authorship dispute. Um, I think to the point where I was surprised to see that he had a screenplay credit and Mm -hmm. got the Oscar for it. Because I remember just general awareness when I was younger, thinking, "Oh yeah, there's something weird about the script of Citizen Kane. One guy wrote it, but another guy took credit, and that does loom pretty large." I feel like in the context, the cultural context surrounding the movie, because I knew that way before I'd ever seen the movie. Yeah. So this movie has so much baggage behind the scenes. So one of the things was that uh, Mankiewicz and Wells were kind of like writing it and they would pass um, drafts back and forth. And the original version was, uh, it was called The American and it had all these weird subplots that they ended up cutting. Like there was a whole assassination subplot where Kane has somebody killed or something like that or or he has an assassination attempt against him or I could I could see that like I could see how that would fit into the story but it obviously did not did not need it um yeah (laughs) but it didn't um and then when um Mankiewicz was hired he was basically hired as just a writer but the property itself was um still owned by RKO Pictures. So he, he mm-hmm. wasn't initially supposed to get a credit. But while they were filming it, there was all this buzz about how this is going to be like the greatest movie ever made. Even at the time, like while they're making it, they're like, oh, this this production is fantastic. <laughs> That's wild. So, so it's, he, it's the opposite of Casablanca where they were like, yeah, this is just some studio picture or whatever. Here they were like, yeah. no, this is it. <laughs> we are doing it. So Mankiewicz started a word of mouth campaign that like, oh, he actually did everything so that he could get his name on it. And they, you know, pushed back at first, and then they finally said that they would allow his name on it. And I think Wells was actually the one who insisted his name goes first, like Mankiewicz's mm-hmm. name goes first. I noticed that. So I, th- I think they kind of, I get the impression that they did not get along because of a lot of that, but there was a little bit of 
respect, I think, to at least mm-hmm. put his name there. Um, but the contrast to that is Wells um, insisted that Tolan's name be put on the same card as his. Mm-hmm. Because that's somebody who he got along with really well. Um, it was, it's the only mer- movie that he and Tolan worked on together. Um, but Wells came into this, uh, like, obviously it's his first movie, and he didn't know what he was doing at all in terms of, like, camera work. So Tolan basically just, like, taught him how camera works and how lighting works and things like that. So Toland actually ended up getting um, his name on the same title card as, as Wells, which was a big deal, um, though I think in Ebert's review, he, he mentions that and says it's the first time it was ever done. But John Ford had actually done the same thing with, um, I forget what the movie was called. It's, it's somewhere in the book. It's like The Long Voyage Home or something like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, I think that was brought up. Um, yeah, so John John Ford actually did the same thing because he also like had huge respect for Greg Tolan. Interesting so. who uh, Orson Welles lost to in that Oscar year. Yeah, yeah, John, oh, John Ford. Ford. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ebert refers to it as an unprecedented gesture that indicated how grateful Welles was mm-hmm. to Toland. So not quite unprecedented, but yeah. still like <laughs> a huge a huge gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just part, like so Mankwitz doing like the word of mouth thing is just only part of like there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff and a lot of that played into like the movie not getting any more than one Oscar. Mm-hmm. Because the industry and the, the the Academy probably were all aware of <laughs> whatever drama nonsense was happening and didn't vote for it. Well, and because of Hearst um, oh. threatening people. Sure. And you know, banning it from his newspapers. So yeah. there's a there's a whole lot of like politics behind this movie. That's one of the fascinating history. things now. Like you watch it now and you're just like, okay, like, you know, great story, pretty searing indictment, I guess, of this type of character or this type of guy. Um, but to realize how barbed it was at Hearst at, you know, to such a powerful guy at the time that it just yeah. really took it to him does, you know, but one of my main takeaways from this movie is just like the absolute like balls on this guy, basically, for lack of a better <laughs> word, to make this movie just at this age, at this time in his career to tell this story this way. There's multiple times during the movie where I was like, man, Arson Wells just really went for it. Like, <laughs> just it's, uh, really something. Yeah, your first movie is a 25 year old mm-hmm. or 26 year old or whatever it yeah. was. And you're like, well, I'm going to play the main character. I'm going to write it. I'm going to direct it, even though I've never done that before. Uh, I'm going to play him from age 25 to like 80 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most of the time, he's not 25 in the movie. Like He's no, only 25 for like a really short years. amount of time. Right. Yeah. I was surprised how quickly, like the first time he shows up and then he has like a mustache and his hairline's a little back. I was like, oh, here we go. Like yeah. very quickly it transitions to some pretty I will say good. That, that first mustache scene is just... Like, ah, yeah, <laughs> that's the, a change. The, it is. The old age makeup, I think, is generally pretty good. And I'm sure for the time it was absolutely phenomenal. Some of the final scenes where he's like real old look a little garish. Yeah, the close ups. <laughs> yeah, mm. they look a little garish now, especially in like this beautiful, you know, transfer that is available to watch online. And it's all high def looking and you're like, oh, OK, that's not not the best. But I'm sure for the time it was super impressive. And I think the subtle work they did on him sort of in middle age was really impressive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I remember like a few weeks ago, I told you guys that I, I had this like sort of uh, can I buy some pot from you type <laughs> thought about this movie. And I needed to write it down because I knew yes. I would forget. And that is that, so how familiar are you guys with like what Wells looked like later in life, like in the 70s and 80s? Um, I mean, I've seen F for yeah, Fake. Yeah, I've seen... Yeah, and I've yeah, yeah and I've, so and I've seen, seen that insane like wine commercial or whatever it is that he did. What? So, what is it a commercial for? He, there's he, he did some ad later he, he in did life. Like a, a peas commercial or something? Or am I mixing up I, that and like a pinky in the brain? Uh, uh, well, there is that. So that's the other thing, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on this either. But like, it's on pinky also, in the brain. It's also very hard. Like Matt and I when we were sitting down to watch it last night because we're just you know total 90s kids or whatever that you just cannot hear Orson Welles talk and not mm-hmm. just think of, of, of Pinky in the Brain. Like, it's that was definitely our first introduction <laughs> to the Orson Welles persona. And I probably, didn't even know he was in that show. No. The, no, the, so the, the voice of the, the brain. The voice is of like, the brain, the actor, the voice actor is doing an Orson Welles impression. And oh, so, really? Yeah, it's yeah. just, and it's not commented on or anything really. <laughs> um, it's just the actor is doing an Orson Welles impression playing a smart Mouse. mouse, rat, mouse, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But once once you become aware of it, you're like, oh, it's right. so obvious. It's oh, so, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, yeah, so it's just a weird thing. Yes. So if Google when you have a chance Orson Welles commercial, and you can watch a YouTube video of Orson Welles just like drunk as shit, uh, messing up his lines, yeah. doing a commercial okay. for something called Paul Masson Wine. Um, sounds awesome. It's. it's <laughs> It's something. Oh, also, we've all seen the Muppet movie, so we. Yeah. All know oh, sure, right. sure. That yes. was probably my very first like yeah. visual introduction to him. Yeah. So we know yes. what he looks like in F for Fake and the yes. Muppet movie, where he's like he's this kind of big guy, like mm-hmm. t- still the same like booming voice, but mm-hmm. you know he he he's a bigger dude. Right. He'll have like a big beard and everything, and he's he's like. Uh, when he played Falstaff, he just kind of like grew sure. into the Falstaff. Yeah. But <laughs> what I think is so funny is that in this movie, he's um, like, he, he gets to about that age and he looks nothing like the way Wells ended up aging to look. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it really, it really makes it so that like the older version of Kane that we see in the movie is his own character. And it's not the old, cause we know what that guy grew into and it's right. totally like they took such divergent paths mm-hmm. that you can really lose yourself in that character. So I just think right. that's, and it's not something that obviously that they could have done sure. consciously at the time, but it's so interesting looking uh, like retrospectively at it, you know, years and years later, right. um, how, how different Wells yeah. looked from Kane. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the movie. Um, we start <laughs> off with a no trespassing sign, which is how the movie also ends. Mm-hmm. We get these shots of Xanadu, which is his um, palace, whatever, big ca- castle, secluded yeah, estate. Yeah, it's, it's like his version of Hearst Castle. I mean, it's the yeah, it's mm-hmm. a commentary on Hearst's insane house he built in California. <laughs> yeah. And then we uh, get a shot of the snow globe, and then he whispers Rosebud and drops it and He's dead. Yeah. Oh, no. Yep. So I will say one thing that I did notice, and I saw this brought up in some of the reading I was doing about the movie, is he seems to be alone when he says mm-hmm. Rosebud. Like, he's alone. He says Rosebud. And then the nurse comes in and sort yeah. of daintily tucks him in dead. Um, and I think, you know, later on, the, the butler claims to have heard it. But he was very much alone. <laughs> 
when he says Rosebud. Not yeah, the but the butler but claims to have heard it. In... Once everyone's talking about it. Yeah, but he claims yeah. to have heard it when he wrecks the bedroom, not when he right. dies, right? That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I heard... thought he I thought he claimed he heard it twice. Maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't know this to... movie as well as I thought I did. But... <laughs> yeah, either either way, like no one's really around to no hear really it. Around. Yeah. It but just, that's also yeah. Like, I guess it's kind of a, a goof, but at the same time, the movie, the point of the movie is like, who cares what Rosebud is? Right. It's only, it's only funny. It was only funny to me just because, you know, it's so famous. Um, mm. And that the, to the, the driver of the plot of the movie outside the flashback is just entirely based on <laughs> the mystery of Rosebud, um, which is also something that I didn't know about the movie before going to see it was I knew obviously going to see it watching it last night um I knew obviously that he says Rosebud and that no one knows what it means and then we find out at the end in the final shot um but that I didn't know what the structure was going to be I guess is what I would say that so much of it is these reporters trying to dig into you know the mystery of this guy and that we get so much of his life in that context um so it was interesting for me to see that yeah. So after he dies, we cut to this, um, like a, it's called News on the Marsh, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a spoof of like the newsreel. I fr- there, there was like a, a term for the, uh, or like a the name of the actual one that they're ripping off, but we cut we, something we know time what these are. T- time on the march yeah. or something like that. It's it's yeah. ripping off. There's some guy he didn't like that <laughs> he was uh, <laughs> making course. fun of with that. Yeah. Um. So it's it's kind of a mixture of stock historical footage and faked newsreel footage to look like um charles foster kane's life yeah and it's based it sums up his entire life and what we're going to see more details of throughout the movie uh but i I like this as a way i mean we talked about how um the exposition of casablanca has done really well where it's people like saying hey, I know this about you, and it's a way of bragging. I like the way that this exposition is done, too, and it sets up the rest of the movie. Um, It tells you what you're going to see in the rest of the movie, Mm -hmm. only the way things pan out is not always um, as clear-cut as as this kind of makes it seem. It's sort of like in Mission Impossible movies, how they start (laughs) off. They start off and they show you, like, the scenes from the rest of the movie. Exactly. Like, or like, yeah, the opening credits of Battlestar Galactica. If anyone watched that TV show, they did the same thing. Yeah. The opening credits always showed, oh, here's yeah. what's going to happen. Like, okay. Um, no, I did enjoy that, too. That You get sort of the entire, which, what they think is the entire story of this guy's life. Mm-hmm. And then... The public seeing... perception. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you're not even surprised. Like, you know he's never actually going to win the governorship. Right. Yeah. And you know he's going to get divorced twice. Twice, right. Yeah. You you know his first wife and child are going to die. and mm-hmm. we don't, Even though that never really, really shows up on screen. So, okay. It's not I much of a so thing. I was so worried. Uh, so I told you guys before we started recording, I watched this last night, and then I read the Ebert essay, and then I went back to rewatch most of it this morning, uh, or at least the highlights. And I, so when I went to rewatch it this morning, I was like, okay, I, last night I missed the part where his wife and son died. Like, <laughs> I, so I'm really going to keep my eyes out for it this time. And I still, like, wondered, how, it's so interesting that that gets, it happens off screen. Like, yeah. It's, it's because just, it doesn't matter to Kate. It doesn't matter point. to him, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, he seemed to like his, or love his son. Yeah. The, the, the limited interactions we see, Junior, he, he seems to care about him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Okay, I'm just glad that this wasn't just me. I really thought I somehow 
missed some entire scene where he deals with the death, at least of his child, if not his ex-wife. But oh well. No, I don't think I don't think they even come up again. I don't think they do. No. I think she walks out. He says, "I'm. Are you coming with me?" He says, "I'm staying here." And I yep, don't think that's it. We, <laughs> that's it. That's the end of that chapter of his life. Um, I will say personally, I'm not the biggest fan of these opening credits. I like the concept of them. Mm-hmm. I just think they go on a little too long. It's it's a bit of a slow start for the movie the, for me. The newsreel, you mean? The you think reel? it goes on yeah. in too much detail? Plus, there's those very upsetting shots of the animals that I did not care for <laughs> when it shows yeah. like the elephant and all this stuff. I'm like, oh god. Um, it yeah, does the, go on in the, long. In the Ebert commentary track, they uh, he mentions that this was just a bunch of random footage that they were having fun filming around mm-hmm. the lot of all these animals being moved, and I was like, sure. oh, <laughs> kind of feels like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will say um, just very quickly before we move on because we're already way past it. Um, really cool opening title card. Just wanted to say that. Yeah, um, yeah when, when Citizen Kane comes up on screen, I was like, oh, okay, it looks very modern. Hello. Um, to me. So anyway, great I font. About that. Love that it, font. It's a really yeah, good, good font. font. Yeah. Um, Wells Wells often has uh, awesome credits in his movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the end credits to this where he I love like, the end credits. Oh, oh my god. So I think every movie I I've said it before. I think every movie should have end credits like that where it shows yeah. at least the person next to their name and mm. ideally a little clip of their like their best scene in the movie or yes, something. Please. It's like a little curtain it's like a curtain call. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And I like how they started like, oh, these old people came from the radio. So, you know, their voices. Let's show us their faces. Oh, my once gosh. More. We're proud like, to introduce to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Give it to me. So, And then, of course, and Ebert calls this out as like false modesty. He doesn't do that for himself. He just has yeah, the last just... credit on the last shared card that just says, yeah, false you know, modesty. He knows what you look like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, though, one of my favorite little sections of this movie does come in the newsreel, even though as a whole I think it's a little too expository and long, is when uh, it shows these group of uh, Wall Street bankers and they're like, we got to do something about this cane man. He's a gummy. And then it goes to these like union people and they're like, we got to do something about this cane man. He's a fascist. (laughs) And then it goes to... A silent clip, so we don't even get to hear Kane say it. But it's like Kane described himself as an American only, mm-hmm. and I was like, mm-hmm. "Yep, yeah, that—that's the movie, just yeah. about when big, yeah, he had communist ideals and fascist principles, and <laughs> very flawed in both ways, and neither ways, and he—he he was with yeah. Hitler, though." He was with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so okay, about that. So like, this is like that's a, a little like a forest. That's like a Forrest Gump style trick where they yep, they edited like him into um, him like shots of him with F, I think FDR at one point. Speaking and... of uh, American masterpieces, Forrest Gump. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just funny because I will say. I mean, I guess the difference is. God, not to go on a Forrest Gump tangent. I just remember, though, when Forrest Gump came out, like, that was the big deal about the movie, is, like, Forrest Gump talks to John F. Kennedy. Like, mm-hmm. that's Yeah, look how, look how real it looks that they're putting him in this stuff. Right. <laughs> it looks the same. I was going to say, yeah, I guess he doesn't, like, talk to them, but yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, that's the know, one big thing. Right, but I did not yeah. know that was um, going to be an element that was used, so it was kind of startling, especially when he's chilling on a balcony with Hitler. You're like... Didn't like that. Okay. No. <laughs> well, here they don't even, they don't even focus, like... 
it's for maybe two, two, three seconds. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. mention, oh, and he's carousing with right. Hitler. And the, 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 if the, you're not looking at it, you right. you wouldn't even know. The narration says something like, um, it's like he aligned himself with like different people, and then it, I wish I'd written it down, but the line is something like. Um, and sometimes he would align himself with people and then have to disavow them later or something yeah. like that. Where it <laughs> I just wonder sort of who that was. Right, and then it just shows him briefly next to Hitler. And you're like, cool, all right. Yeah, and there was also that part towards the end of the newsreel where he's like, ah, oh, we won't be going to war with Europe. These people are, all, they, they know we can't do this and cause horrible destruction. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, well, he was... 1941. Right, I was say, yeah, he was... Opposed world the first world war it says because it shows like nineteen nineteen it was like and he opposed a war and then yeah it was <laughs> yeah, yeah and then he pushed for the Spanish American war which is something that, you which, which is something that Hearst what I so, provide the war <laughs> that's it's a yeah. great line oh my god <laughs> so uh, after the newsreel footage ends the reporters all say like we need a little bit more pizzazz to it and they talk about rosebud and the MacGuffin of the movie is we need to figure out who rosebud is and maybe bring a little like i don't know clarity and artistry to this news on the march mm-hmm. thing could have been so a little bit they, more clarity to how they filmed that scene how they filmed what's the this, the, 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 the 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 scene of them scene. talking yeah oh yeah so so it was the first thing they shot you mean like the behind the scenes with all the I'm, people in the i'm room? talking about all the goddamn shadows. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Which it was actually just an incredible way to frame the news. It looks great. Yeah. That was the first scene that they shot and they were at, they actually told the studio like, "Hey, we're doing some test footage." Um, and they just shot it for real. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There you go. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the shots that I love. Like the use of shadows like and light pouring through um, windows in that scene and then later at the Thatcher library is just like mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. It's pretty damn heavy. Some heavy yeah. shadows. So they, they task one of the reporters named Jerry Thompson to solving um, what or who Rosebud is. So he goes off to meet Susan Alexander, who is Kane's second wife. He goes to her nightclub, and she's drunk and doesn't want to talk. That's that With the introduction and that amazing shot, by the way, that ebert calls out in his guide i think but when it goes mm-hmm. up and over and through the sign well, through, and down yeah, through, through the, the skylight lights. and sort of how they cool. use visual trickery to do that it looks looks and they do it twice when they mm-hmm. circle back to it later mm-hmm. um looks so good <laughs> um so she she like doesn't really feel like talking but the one thing she does give um the reporter jerry thompson is that she's never even heard of rosebud mm-hmm. so so far, he's at a dead end. So he goes to the Thatcher Library. Um, this So one of the things about this movie that I didn't really appreciate the first time I saw it, and it wasn't until like watching the Ebert commentary, because when I first saw it, I watched the movie and then immediately watched it with the commentary. How much of this movie is special effects or like practical uh-huh. effects or some other visual trickery? Uh-huh. And I think my favorite one is the statue shot where... You see the statue, it doesn't really like play into the plot of the movie at all. But you see this giant statue and they pan down into the library and that what they used was a miniature and they used a wipe, mm-hmm. but the wipe goes with the camera pounding panning down so you don't actually it's hidden, you don't see it. And that's just it's something so minor, but it just shows like the amount of attention that 
they put to everything in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, what really stood out to me and one of the things I looked for when I was rewatching it this morning after reading the Ebert book was that, um, you know, they talked about showing the ceilings in the rooms because movies mm-hmm. used to not show the ceilings because that's where all the lights and the microphones are. Um, but you get the sense he wanted to have a lot of these low angles. He's always shooting Kane from down below to sort of make him look big and imposing. And so you have these low ceilings, um, which apparently they did by just making them cloth. Like, they still mm-hmm. had the lights and the microphones up there. And when you go back and watch it, knowing that, yep. you're like, especially, it's, it really, really is in the all the scenes in, like, the newsroom once he, yep. when they're in the Inquirer. You're like, okay, that's just cloth drapes hanging up there. Yeah. But I, mm-hmm. I have to say, I didn't notice it the first time. When I was watching it the first time, because I'm not staring at the ceilings, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, that's a low ceiling. And then I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, yeah, he just fully hung cloth up there so that they could have this illusion of a ceiling. Um, and there's, I had it never noticed like it until I listened to the Ebert commentary and you said it. Yeah, and then like, oh, once it's called yeah. out, you're like, mm-hmm, It's like, yeah. I cannot see that. <laughs> but it, it really does go to show there's so many what seem like minor things like that that must have been so or were so revolutionary at the time. The, yeah, the wipes and the miniatures and the ceilings oh, yeah, and all the matte paintings. Yeah, for stuff like like all you have to do is not show the ceiling and <laughs> right. your you life would have been way easier. yeah. Like but, how much time would they have saved? Right, <laughs> they exactly. just like yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have the camera where cameras have usually been placed go. For, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this was uh, Ebert sort of being apocryphal or not, but during the commentary, he mentioned something like, "There's as many special effects shots in Citizen Kane as there is in Star Wars," mm-hmm. and that was just like interesting. Wow, <laughs> but I mean, it makes sense given how many like sort of. Uh, double angles and mat work that they had to do, and you know, yeah, I mean, Star Wars, so much they're of this... out in the Sahara Desert filming the tattooing stuff that you know didn't need to get a special yeah. effects thing for that. Exactly, yeah. So much of the movies, like there's so many matte paintings. There's so much. So he goes to. We'll, we'll talk about another great one of those shots. He goes to the Thatcher Library, who was mm-hmm. um, Kane's guardian, and he starts reading a book. Um, it's like his, his journal, I guess. Yeah. Talking about um, Kane as a young boy and when he became guardian of him. So we flash back to 1871 and we see um, a young boy slutting outside. And that's uh, Charles Foster Kane or Charlie uh-huh. Kane as a little boy. And all done is one shot. The camera goes from outside to the inside where uh, Thatcher is having a conversation with Kane's parents. And then, still in one shot, it goes into the other room uh-huh. and behind a table. Uh-huh. And Ebert points out in his commentary that that table actually, like, broke apart. And when they, um, the table, like, collapses back together after the camera passes through, and there's a hat sitting on the table, and you can see the hat move. Yeah. Because, it's, because it's the table coming back right. together. <laughs> but it's all done in one shot. And even when you get from, like, you go from the outside through the kitchen into the dining room or whatever. Uh-huh even though you've pulled all the way from out to in, you can still see the kid in the background. Yeah. And I, it's, so I could talk may, about like this maybe, scene for yeah. ages. Like I, I love it's this arguably scene the best so scene much. I loved it so much. Um, and it, the, the shot, just watching it last night for the first time blew me away. Like with the depth mm-hmm. of focus. And once the action all moves to the foreground and they're talking about the money or the trust or the contract or whatever. Um, and you can still just perfectly centered in the window, see Charlie, like, you know, 
gallivanting around out in the snow and then reading about how they like this was one of the first movies i guess to use like real depth of field where they would have mm. the sort of super long focus like that and it just works so well in that scene mm-hmm. like it really visually is so striking yeah and that was something that um wells thought was really important because like given his background in this in the theater mm-hmm. you know that's the way we actually see things so we thought you know why shouldn't the movie be that way too and the problem like previous to that was that um you needed to be able to film with enough light so Mm. that you can actually because when you when you have a really deep focus you need to be able to let a lot of light in otherwise everything gets like crazy dark Mm -hmm. um so they like the making of this movie coincided really well with uh new kinds of lamps and new kinds of film that would accommodate the, like even the ability to physically do that mm-hmm. um so yeah that's i mean it's such an ostentatious shot in the best way possible <laughs> I, I it's so good yeah it, it's showy yeah. but in an effective way like it's showy with a purpose it's yeah, like, yeah. Said, unlike there's so many... a movie that's like let's run down the hallway and you know right. do all this crazy stuff and this one it's like we're going from the childhood and slowly just maneuvering away and away and away into this adult thing until the camera is still is mainly focused on this stupid business deals and this like rich ass top hat. But in that background, you can still see the childhood. And that's like, right. that's Cade in like a single shot. Right. Exactly. And it's so important for the plot to sort you, you're, you know, you're witnessing like, his last moments of like childhood innocence. He's yeah. out there, he's playing in the snow. He doesn't know yet that his entire course of his life is about to change forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. Yeah. So the the mother and the banker basically come to a deal where the banker's like gonna invest in some money that I think she's acquired somehow through gold. I, I guess. think it's, someone left so they ran a boarding house and someone like left it to her, like a former boarder or something, left it to her, thinking it was like worthless land, and then they struck gold mm. in the the mine or something like that. I I watched more closely this morning because I yeah the first time I was like I don't know she got some money, <laughs> but it seems like that's what happened. And like Agnes Moorhead is really only in this movie was, for like five minutes, but great, she's so good on it. Great one scene performance. She's really yeah. just yeah. Ugh. Ebert called it the best performance of the movie and. It's I don't know Orson's pretty damn good, but yeah, Orson's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I was gonna now. say, um, definitely. Well, this is gonna now sound rude when I was saying it. I say definitely the best uh, female performance in the movie, um, <laughs> which is a little. <laughs> I don't mean it to be as rude as that sounds like it is. Um, but no, she just really stands out. She just has this mm-hmm. insane presence, um, and she's so you you feel like you get everything about this woman and why she's doing what she's doing. Um, I actually like his dad a lot, too. I think the actor who plays his dad, who's mm-hmm. so um, ineffectual, who's just kind of stomping around. I, I could sue. A father has rights. And you're like, okay, buddy, you're not going to do anything. <laughs> and I like that the scene does kind of a, a switch where you think that the father wants to keep him. And you're like, why is this mother giving away her child? Mm-hmm. Yep. But then at the very end of that flashback, he's he like says that the kid needs a thrashing mm-hmm. and then that's that's when you realize this is like she's not just giving him away to a banker right. for his financial well-being she's right. protecting him right she's getting um, him out of a not good situation an abusive, yeah, and getting yeah. him to a better life yeah yeah and then we cut to kane turning 25 and he's getting his independence from mm-hmm. thatcher and he wants to take over a newspaper called the inquirer 
and part of him part of his uh newspapering his 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 newsmanning sure. is, is just like attacking thatcher because yeah. why not and he starts off so idealistic and he says he wants to help the underprivileged with the newspaper and you know he wants to be a voice for people who don't have a voice things like that and people are you know Thatcher's criticizing him and he says, you know, you're going to blow all this money and you're going to lose or you lost a million dollars last year. And that's when we get a million dollars next year. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to close this place in in 60 years or something. Which, how much, I mean, we're talking $60 million in like 1900. (laughs) Like how? Yeah. Yikes. That's a lot of money. Fucking rich. Yeah. He's. Yeah, like money has no meaning to him, wealthy, which explains a lot about yeah. his character <laughs> and mm-hmm. the life he ends which, up leading. We kind of skipped it, but I uh, just got to talk about the first shot of 25-year-old Orson Welles where it goes, Thatcher reading a paper, uh, and he slams it shut. Thatcher reading mm-hmm. a paper, uh, and he slams it shut. And then it, it, the last one is, uh, he slams it shut. And then right behind where the paper was, it's just Orson doing like a chair turn and like looking up mm-hmm. at the camera and Thatcher. Yep. And it's like the coolest fucking thing. It's what a, a good edit. It's a what great... a good way to like set up, set up, set up, and then pay off with like our not hero shot, but like, you know. It's a great movie star entrance. Star. Yeah. It's yeah. just a, like you look at this guy, you're like, oh, he's okay, this, this is the star. Yeah. He's beh- he's literally behind the newspaper and oh, mm-hmm. I just love that so much. Yeah. I do wish we talked about how he's not you know, young for very much of the movie because this movie has such an insane scope. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I wish that maybe we had got to spend a little bit more time with sort of the this age of Charles Foster Kane when he is a little bit, when he's young and has sort of these big ideas um, and sort of this really good energy. Um, I just thought it was, it was the most, it looks like it's the most fun that Wells is having with this performance. And especially like he's with his buddies and then they, mm-hmm. yeah, they're oh. all still having a good time. And oh, it's not he gonna, and Cotton and are so good together. So yeah. good. Like that's another part of this movie that I had no idea about. Cause I just thought of it as this one man show. I had no idea Joseph Cotton was in this movie. So that was a pleasant surprise. Um, and that, that, yeah, he's this just great, like one of the great movie best friends. Uh, what a, it's, it's, it's true. What an awesome character. Yeah. And he's so good as just like this curmudgeonly old man oh, who just wants a I, cigar. He just wants a cigar. He's he looks also kind of insane in the old yeah. man makeup, but in a good. I think because he's like, it's not as serious with old with old Charles Foster Kane, uh, with old Leland. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of playing it goofy, so he's got like his bathrobe on and his glasses, and like he's all got he that wants weird is like see through visor. He's, oh, love his visor. Um, <laughs> the the style, what the styling on him to me screams very like seventies old man, which is yeah. fascinating because it was just fully nineteen forty one. So I don't know, um, but it's that's great. He's so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um. I gotta say, this sort of scene where there's this one uh, idealistic but worryingly power-hungry figure with two best friends and starting a project together at a young age of 20-something felt so social network to me. Oh, sure, interesting. This screamed like, 
Yeah, I think Social Network really pulled off a lot of Citizen Kane homages. Man, it's, now especially... well, does David Fincher is David Fincher familiar at all? With Citizen <laughs> yeah, Kane? does David I don't Fincher know. have any just, interest just... in this movie? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I maybe that's... we'll talk to him in that's December. A, yeah, that's see. a great point. Yeah, um, that that is a really good point, and it does make me want now somebody to make a like in fifty or sixty years, sort of a Citizen Kane that's like. You know, it wouldn't be like sort of one to one on Zuckerberg, but it could be you know an mm-hmm. amalgamation of all these awful mm-hmm. tech people. Um, I, would I think that. they kind of. I, I think they should do Tesla if they're going to do that. Oh, sh- or not Tesla. Uh, Elon oh, Musk. Elon Musk. That ass. That'd be a anyway. hell of a movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but just at least that first act where they're younger and starting off and like they're mm-hmm. idealistic. And they think mm-hmm. they're good. They're a little sketchier in Social Network because they're making a site about, you know, comparing right. women. But they're, it's they're this idea like of, like, a hot let's app, connect yeah. people. Yeah, but it's like, let's connect people. Let's let's bring people together. We got this great idea. We're going to use this for good. And then, you know. Yeah. Crap happens. Yeah. I'll also shout out to, since we're getting there now, um, Everett Sloan, who plays yeah. Bernstein, the third friend, um, who's so Underrated. good. Underrated. underrated performance so good in this movie like kind of the heart of the movie because you know yeah stuff, he's definitely the heart of the movie right like because you know I, call, I still call leland the heart of the movie yeah i mean well leland's care he he goes through some tough times uh, uh yeah. <laughs> later on there too um but yeah i thought he was so good uh and again yeah. no, nothing i'd ever heard talked about in the movie before also yeah. question he looks old as hell <laughs> and, <laughs> The internet tells me he was 32 when this movie was made. And my no brain. Way. Okay, Everett Sloan is the the actor, right? Who played like I Everett Sloan as Mr. Bernstein, okay? Born 1909. So, he was 32. Like I I don't some people just have like old faces. Yeah. Um So he was only 6 years older than Wells. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um and he looks like 50 at the beginning of the movie and then the takes of the old age makeup real well i gotta say you you want to know something but cotton was four years older than uh everett sloan oh really okay so he was um good for cotton i guess i was gonna say he's so handsome though yeah Yeah. he's like he's just such a handsome actor that it works Anyway, so okay. yeah, he, I know we keep jumping around, but there's just yeah. so much good stuff to talk about. I this know movie. this is such a good movie. <laughs> yeah. So so in the first flashback, it kind of jumps from Kane um, acquiring the Inquirer to uh, Kane having to sell it when he's much older because mm. of the stock market crash. And then the next interview we go to is Bernstein. He tells that great story about the woman in the dress and the parasol Her, yep. that he said he's he thinks of all the time. Mm-hmm. Can I? tell you guys something that i think of all the time please and it's gonna be it's gonna be a spoiler for the end of this movie okay what people are what lives people don't know what it is <laughs> but so i've i've seen this movie a few times over the years and nelly and i saw it i want to say five maybe six years ago the um cleveland museum of art had a 35 millimeter print of this wow. and they showed it there and it was Nelly and I, and then like some, like one other young guy. And then everyone else who saw it was super old, like 
70s, sure. 80s. Yeah, you're at a museum screening of yeah, Citizen Kane. Of Citizen Kane. <laughs> I mean, if, if you go to like a normal, like, uh, Regal Cinemas, like, right. classic one night, you're going to probably get half old people, half, yeah. like, put younger a, audience of movie yeah. bus, but then put it in a mu- museum, you're going to yeah. get yeah. museum people. So it's us and a bunch of very, very old people. We watch the movie, enjoy it, obviously. Of course. At the end of the movie, when they show the sled burning, this octogenarian woman goes, oh, it was his sled. (laughs) That's amazing. I think about that woman all the time. I'm so happy for her. I would want to interview her, honestly. She's she's my white parasol. Like, her parasol is her. Somehow, being enough of a cinephile to want to see a 35 millimeter print of a movie in a museum and like mm-hmm. fold away chairs. Yeah. And yet she had no idea. It's okay. Either, okay. Either she, she had no idea or, she, or she's the funniest person. I've I was going to say, or she just had like the best comic timing in the world. Yes. She, it's possible that <laughs> either if, way I want to meet this yeah. lady. I think about it's, it. All it's secretly time. Madeline Kahn. <laughs> it was his sled. I could oh. totally see her see that say that. Oh my gosh. So funny. Um I bet she was one of those people that is just like she has a museum membership and they're like, Oh, we're showing a movie on the yeah, weekend. There's an event. And she's like, mm. Oh, I'll go. I've, I've never heard, heard that's of good. the Citizen Kane movie. God. What a what a life. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's incredible. What to that be alive and, ha- and and not know that yeah. uh Rose is yeah, the I can't even remember like when I learned it. Like I just I have yeah, it was no, just something I always knew. I just there always are things knew it. I'm convinced people are just genetically born with. Right, you're just born you know. knowing that Rosebud is a sled. Um, I mean, if I had to guess, it might be like when they did the first AFI list or something, and there there was a bunch of TV specials about it, and like I watched all That's of those. True. So it could have been then. I would have been Did Simpsons? Young, Simpsons probably parodied oh, God, it in like probably. episode three or whatever. Oh, we're gonna get to yeah. we're gonna get to some Simpsons. Parodies I was gonna say there's some, there's some Simpsons. Yeah, there's yeah. some good ones. Yeah. So in the next uh, flashback, um, Bernstein mentions Leland, Kane's friend, and then we get the story of them kind of starting the Inquirer together. Or their like their version of the Inquirer together. Mm-hmm. Leland wants to be a dramatic critic, which sounds like, I guess, the that era's version of a film critic. He's going to review, mm-hmm. like, theater and things like that. Mm-hmm. Kane makes these big procl- proclamations and writes a declaration of principles to tell the news honestly and mm-hmm. not hold special interests. And Leland says, give me that paper. I want to hold on to it. Yeah. yeah. And hold on to it. He does. Uh, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, Puts that in his pocket. Great use of, see, when we talk about the shadow, I, when they do the shadow in the newsroom at the beginning, I'm just like, this is too much. I get your style, but like, <laughs> you know, tone it down. Let, let's let's dark. let's use this let's, let's a little that. more effectively for me. Um, this is when it's used effectively. Is they're in a sort of a darkened room, but you can clearly see both Bernstein and uh, Leland's faces. But mm-hmm. goddamn Kane, as he's signing this Declaration of Principles, his face is dark as fuck. You can't even see his expression. You cannot see his tone. You cannot see his face as he lays out these declaration of principles. That is some good shadowing. That is what I like. That I, that, that that seems so damn good. So 
is this yes the next scene is um he he wants to there's another like a rival Uh newspaper called the chronicle Mm -hmm. and we get this great transition shot of a picture of the guys the windows oh the the photograph of the yeah yeah Yeah. and then it it transitions to the photograph becomes them getting their photograph taken again after he's acquired them for his newspaper yeah and then they hold a party sure do we need to we need to talk about the party (laughs) because the party is spawned a few things one of them is so there's this uh the song the there is a man a certain man i got that stuck in my head this morning i swear <laughs> to christ yeah. i can't get it out of my head <laughs> so if people are familiar with the white stripes album white blood cells sure. there's a mm-hmm. song called the union forever which is what uh charlie kane is he's screaming singing, while he's playing screaming on the, in the snow yeah yeah, yeah yeah and that song is um you know it it references it's a citizen this, kane song it, it is, yeah. I had no uh, idea. So it, it references the there is a man, a certain man, um, the part that they, that they that's like the Charlie Kane musical number that they do. Huh. And then one of the lines in the song is also uh, about what would I become, everything you hate, which is what Kane says to um, Thatcher when he says, mm-hmm. if I wasn't rich, I could have been a good man. He's like, what, have you, what would you have done? And he said, I would have become everything you hate. Huh. But there's also a Simpsons... Uh, rip off of this and it's supposed to be a a, a retirement party for some nobody character mm-hmm. uh, at the power plant and Smithers brings out a musical number and you think it's going to be for this guy who, who's retiring but it's just this number but f- for Mr. Burns it's <laughs> incredible. Oh, God. so the the internet tells me that they wanted to set this scene at a brothel that, mm-hmm. that the original idea was that, um, yeah, he was going to take all the new staff members to a brothel, but we're, we are now in code times, and so that was yeah. not going to fly. Yeah. So they just, but they still bring the dancing girls in, and they still and, do their and dance. The and, Kane, and Kane yeah. manhandles the hell out of one of them um, yep. in particular. So, yeah, I think, I don't think the brothel was necessary. I think the scene works fine as is. Yeah. Yes. You, the brothel's like maybe a little too much. Yeah. You get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. But he's just, uh, yeah, throwing a throwing a big party for his new staff. And I believe it's in this scene. I don't think it's later. I think it's still during this scene where someone basically, at, now I can't remember who was talking to who, but it is brought up. Like, basically, look, if you could do this and steal these guys away, couldn't someone else do the exact yeah. same thing? <laughs> like, I know we're all happy, but uh, you just bought them off. Can't someone else just buy them off? Uh, just a good point. <laughs> So, I, like, two scenes ago, I wrote in my notes, like, oh, this opening section is, like, the social network. But then this scene happened, I was like, oh, no, this is Wolf, Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street. Yeah. yeah. I obviously this, this wrote, so, as soon as the so marching band like, comes as soon as the marching yeah, band, the marching comes band in, comes I just in, wrote just Wolf like, of Wall Street Oh, my God. And there's notes. all these, like, white dudes in uh, it's, suits yeah, and so just dancing around with these yeah. women. And it's just like, well, Scorsese likes this movie, too. What's also <laughs> interesting, though, is it leads me to believe, like, that, yeah, this sort of just, just like, corporate excess grossness has, you know, the entire Ugh. 20th century America, right? Like, <laughs> this is a, a, grand, a, yeah, a grand American tradition of these, like, gross, fancy, you know, corporate shenanigans. Marching bands. Marching bands and uh, half-naked ladies. Yeah, yeah. and... and- you know, gro- mm-hmm. groping them and such. Yep. Um, 
and then it is after his his groping of these women that he goes to Europe and comes back and Wait, suddenly hold, hold he's. On, hold on, hold on. Oh, no. I have so much more to say about the scene. No, no. <laughs> no, <right. laughs> We're going to be here quickly, all day. Quickly. This is Joseph Cotton's best scene, probably. He is so good when he is just sitting there so disgusted with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then he starts trying to sing along and he looks so mad. He looks pissed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but but then he calms down and he starts having that conversation with Bernstein. That's when he, he, he mentions like... He just bought these, like, oh, that's good. What them, are we doing yeah. here? And he's he's trying not to be angry. He's just kind of joking around now. But there's right. this shot of Bernstein talking on the right, and Cotton talking on the left, and there's a reflection in between them on the glass where uh, Kane is groping and dancing with women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> this is so well made. Yeah. <laughs> this indeed. I just I I can't get over how good yeah. that shot was. I think I I messaged Nick it and was just like, oh, this is the cinematic perfect shot that everyone has been searching for all this yeah. time. Yeah. And then I did it again later in the movie. Well, I mean, this movie is just this like, filled with you them. could pull you yeah. could pull so many individual shots out. Right. It's a bigger dozen of perfect one, shots. One I we definitely have to move on. But the one thing I wrote down that I wanted to mention, speaking of the transitions, was before he. The, immediately before we see the photograph and it's revealed that he bought all the staff members, there's another really good transition where you see our our main guys, our buddies, um, peering out through the window of their yes. um, shop, of their newspaper with, like, their circulation number for the Inquirer, and then it, like, cuts to them looking at the window for the Chronicle with the higher circulation number, mm-hmm. and that's where they, you know, get the idea that, okay, we're going to get, you know, it took 20 years to get that staff, and then we get the great, but it's just... Yeah, it's, it's almost every shot. You could literally just, in almost every single scene, be like, and then this looked great. So, speaking of Joseph Cotton, I do love him as the old man. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently, according to Ebert, he hated his old man makeup and thought it looked terrible. Yeah. And I, 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 I do believe it. I do believe that. Yeah. He does look kind of goofy. I just think it works. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think he's just like such a funny curmudgeon where he pretends to not know the name of Xanadu and he's like, he calls it Sloppy Joe. <laughs> yeah, Sloppy. He says a few That's different things. Fun- yeah. <laughs> I was rolling. Is, like, the, it's yeah. like the funniest line in the whole it's movie. So funny. That's so uh, Pauline Kale in her like brief little write-up of this says that um, I think she describes it as the funnest of the great movies or something like something along those lines. And I think that's true. Like, this movie's underrated in just how funny and kind of an easy, enjoyable watch it is. Mm-hmm. It um, is. It's I, not I, It's not very heavy at all. I mean, it has those elements, but it's not. it doesn't feel, like, burdensome the no. way a lot of other mm-hmm. movies do. No, I mean, I think that's another thing that it and Casablanca have in common. That are two movies that, before you watch them, you think they're important. Oh, they're black and white. They're from the 40s. Like, do I really, you know, and then... You're surprised at how much wit and humor um, yeah. that yeah, comes through. Yeah. It, so she, this s- is- she says, uh, it's generally considered the greatest American film of the sound period, and it may be more fun than any other great movie. Uh, I mean, I could see it. I think for me, it, it's just a little too technically heavy for me to like really have fun with the whole time. Like I said, with like the newspaper scene, we're still like, let's throw shadows freaking everywhere. Um but yeah, it's it's underrated in terms of how much fun this movie is, and yeah. like seriously, like I said, I watched this twice in a row, and it felt like a breeze. Mm-hmm. Such such a good movie. Yeah. yeah. So to to your point, Dylan, about um, Leland being 
maybe the heart of this movie it is in Leland's flashbacks where we learn about both of Kane's wives mm-hmm. so yep. his first the first part of his flashback is talking about Emily the first wife and we don't really learn a whole lot about her um, which we know that she, which president is she the niece of <laughs> like he refers it, to him say. as doesn't he say Uncle John yeah and I was like there's I, I don't know if it's because we've seen real politicians otherwise in the yeah. movie but I couldn't I could not place who I thought they were referring to there yeah I don't uh, I think I couldn't figure it out and I kind of just gave up after a little bit going yeah. oh it's supposed to be just like right. an generic like, yeah. yeah yeah okay fair Mr. enough president right yeah but I do so we don't really learn a lot about her um but what we do learn about her the most <coughs> of what we learn about her is in like maybe a minute long montage and I love this montage mm-hmm. of them eating breakfast together and it starts off with them eating breakfast together. They're newlyweds. They still like each other. Mm-hmm. They're cozied up it, in a small coffee table. Yeah. Yeah. They're right next to each other. And then it cuts a few more times to them as they become more uh, like distant physically and more distant emotionally where, you know, she's complaining. He's bickering back to her. And then by the end of it, they're not saying anything at all. Yeah. He's reading his newspaper. She's reading her newspaper. And the newspaper she's reading is the Chronicle, his mm-hmm. competitors. Yeah. And that's pretty much uh, all we really get to know about them. There's there's a really um, sort of portentous line in that scene where she's complaining about how much he works at the newspaper. And she yeah. says like how much she hates competing with the newspaper. And in some ways, she wishes that her competition was flesh and blood or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, it's oh, like, no, you don't. don't. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's a, you say that now, ma'am, but no, no, you don't. And that's exactly what happens. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I think the best line in that is like she's all worrying about like, oh, what will people think if you're at the office? And so she says like, Charlie, what will people think? And he just, she, he just like booming the response. What I tell them to think. Yeah, Ooh, he's a it's, he's it's going a, a little very... crazy. Yeah, it's a very effective way of showing sort of how, yeah, what his transformation is to him sort of going mad with power, um, which mm. happens so quickly, obviously. You know, his, mm-hmm. his principles are abandoned so quickly, but you really see it in his interactions with yeah. her in that sequence, for sure. I think it's also important to note that this is one of the very few uh, parts of the movie where it's like a shot A, shot B conversation mm-hmm. that makes up this montage, where mm-hmm. usually it's just like, Let's uh, interview this person and have the newspaper person, like, we never show their face when they're talking or something. Or, like, let's shoot it as this long shot where Kane is, like, farther back and then closer up. This is one of the very few, like, here's a person talking, here's a person talking. And at that point, it's because, like, we don't realize how far they're drifting apart until the final shot pans out. And we see this, I don't know, like, 50-foot long coffee table. And it's like, that that's how far apart they are. Mm-hmm. Which makes the what very few uh, shot A, shot B conversation shots uh, effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So speaking of her flesh and blood competition, uh, Kane is out on the street and he runs into a woman who laughs at him who's leaving a pharmacy because he gets splashed by a car. He looks she, pretty funny, to be fair. Yeah. he He's made to look a fool. And he's... So she invites him in, and he's mostly impressed with her because she shows genuine interest in him and not because of 
who he is as a powerful person or as a rich person, just as in like this guy who she likes being around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think gets a lot to the, the pathology of Kane himself. There's another part where um, they're talking about his, his uh, governor uh, when he runs for governor. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it's Leland who said he wanted all the voters to love him too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what Kane is, is just like wanting the approval of right. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish and I'd written down that line. Cause I can't remember Leland. Yeah. What, whatever it is that he says there is so good that basically speaks to, yeah, he just wanted more and more and more and eventually was running for governor because yeah, now he wanted all of the voters in New York to, to <laughs> love him and admire him also. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he, like we see it in the, like the next scene, he's holding a rally mm-hmm. against the governor and yeah. he's just feeding off of the crowd, kind of admiring him. Oh, yeah. And similarly, I'm getting into a big uh, like metaphor for something that's happened more recently in politics. But he does also <laughs> say that the first thing he's going to do if he's if and when he's elected governor is investigate and prosecute mm-hmm. uh, his competition. Boss Jim, Boss yeah. Jim, w. Boss Jim Yep. So I think that's interesting that, you know, he's playing a character in the 40s um, who is desperate to have voters approval uh-huh. and is holding big rallies and oh. is threatening to prosecute his competition. Right. Lock him up. Wasn't there. No. So, I mean, also, we'll talk, get there in a second. But the newspaper <laughs> headlines that run after the results of the election, yes. like that really hits you in the gut in yep. 2020 where you're like, <gasps> Because um, you can yeah. just, like, see the Fox News Chiron that, like, says the exact same thing. And yeah. you're just like, oh, God. Um, but wasn't there, and, like, we do not have to spend that much time on this, wasn't there a story, like, a few months ago about how Trump always talks about how Citizen Kane is his favorite movie? And it's yep. because he thinks it's, like, the portrait of a great, admirable American. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't understand the movie. Yeah, that we're supposed to be judging. He, right. he doesn't. He missed the part where the guy dies, dies alone. alone and unloved. <laughs> yeah, um, I just remember that coming up a few months ago when I hadn't seen it yet, and now having seen it is even more like, oh, buddy, what? <laughs> like, it's even more indicting now. Yeah. Uh, I think. Okay, so the whole rally scene is filmed so well. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, mm-hmm. The the big poster behind him and you know mm-hmm. this is something brought up like ebert was like this is f- completely <coughs> fake so much of this mm-hmm. is not actually right. real like there's, there's no crowd map. scenes yeah yeah and and then but uh there's the other shot that i sent nick of like the perfect shot was Geddes literally on the higher ground looking down that looks at so everyone good. like oh it's kane um but my favorite part about this entire scene is actually the setting slightly before the rally which is leland is in the streets he was with a bunch of common folk and he's saying the exact same speech as like a heartfelt uplifting thing and literally mid-speech it cuts to Cade in this big old fancy room uh-huh. with all these rich ass fancy mm-hmm. people yeah and it's like yeah leland still has his declaration of principles mm-hmm. on him Kane doesn't and that's to me that was the most effective thing was this contrast of like how Leland is uh you know campaigning versus how uh Kane is campaigning so in the next scene after that rally um kind of two things happen and it's Kane's political life running into his personal life Mm -hmm. 
So his wife gets brought to his his uh, mistress's apartment, mm-hmm. um, and Kane gets blackmailed by Geddes and basically says, "You know, bow out, stop dragging my name through the mud, mm-hmm. and we can let this go." Kane is too stubborn and also seems to just like not care about Emily, his first wife, and it's just right. like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just I'm gonna we're we're going for it. I want like I want to be with her and I want to take down. I get the not caring about his wife. Like I, I understand from this character's perspective, like when he makes that choice, and I mentioned it earlier, that sort of super intense scene when she's like, "Are you coming?" and he's like, "No, mm-hmm. I'm staying yeah. here." And you're like, "Oh god, like, yeah." And she walks out of the movie in his life. Um, what I don't know, and I guess it's, I guess the answer to this question I'm about to ask is ego. But like, what did he think was going to happen when he? Like, he, is it just his ego that he's like, he can print whatever he wants about me, but I'm bigger than that. The people love me. Yeah. I yeah. will win. You can't take me down. Okay. That's that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. It's just like his his hubris. He he thinks he can get away with anything. Right. Because it seems so, so inevitable when you the, watch it play out. You're like, well, yep. Okay. That's <laughs> what was going to happen. The hilarious thing is there's all these 2020 comparisons. Sure. To, mm-hmm. you know, that's true. The, the orange man. And yeah. like you know, that's not taking uh, him down in 2020. Yeah, well, I was gonna yeah. Say, or and even in 2016. Like, this happened. This right? happened like, in 2015 when they started running. Well, in like 20, like okay, you want to? Uh, yeah, it's. I wish we did not have so many parallels, but like, you want to <laughs> talk like 2016 in the Access Hollywood tape, right? Like everyone was like, "Oh, that's it. That's Fantasy's it. That's over. It. End of the story." And a few yeah. people in Ohio was like, "Nah." <laughs> All those evil people in Ohio, it's their fault. And Michigan and Pennsylvania. That was it. And Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah. That's right. He won Wisconsin. Yeah. That was funny. Yes. Anyway. But yeah, yeah, it's hilarious that like there's all these things that's like, wow, that's really prescient today. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, uh, he's sleeping with a woman that's not his wife. Mm -hmm. He's done for. And it's like, no, that's not prescient at all. We're seeing that all the time. Democrats and Republican candidates. like, Oh, my God. You can also you can edit this out if we don't want to keep it in the podcast because we don't need that much politics talk. But did you see the quote that Trump said yesterday when he was talking about whatever Senate candidate had some sort of sexting scandal in North Carolina or whatever? Oh, I didn't see and that. So there's a, there's a no, some Senate there's some Senate candidate who has like a sexting scandal. I think yeah, it's, it's a, in North it's Carolina. A Senate, Democrat, right? Senate Democrat, yeah, and it doesn't seem like it's hurting him that much. But Trump, of course, is like really leaning into this and is like, you know, oh, this guy he's going to lose now. And what he said yesterday at some rally was the problem with this guy is he got caught having more affairs at once than you're allowed to have. <laughs> it's what was Trump's criticism of him, and it's like. <laughs> Okay, so that's how your brain sure. works, huh? <laughs> he got caught having more affairs at once than you're allowed to have. How many are you allowed to have is my follow-up <laughs> question. Um, but anyway, I just, yeah, it's it remains depressing how, um, yeah. how, wacky, how many, parallels. How many yeah. parallels there are fully 80 years after this movie came out. Just yeah. And just wild. which ones hold up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'd think it'd be the opposite ones. But no. Yeah. Well, I mean, someday. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'll see. Uh, like sort of in line with him being ego driven in terms of like this controversy, the next thing that really happens in his life. So he, he loses, they do the fraud at polls things. Mm-hmm. The, the headline is, um, Kane caught in like love nest or whatever with yeah. singer. With, with singer. <laughs> oh God. I'm maybe the thing that, that I laughed hilarious. hardest at in this movie was the scare quotes around singer every time they yeah. showed it. And then they, 
actually mention it. Like, they bring it yeah. up yeah. later. I kind of thought that was going to just be an unremarked on comment. It's a plot they, point. It's a plot point that they yeah. bring it up later. Um, I Yeah, I so Leland says w- he spent, the like, the next part of his trying life to trying to take the quote marks off. Trying to get the quotes taken yeah. away. Before and he we says... Com- <sighs> Was, oh, you you finish up. I was just gonna say he says we're gonna be a great opera star when yes when they yeah. oh when they're like in that carriage or whatever when he's like yes we are yeah. we are gonna be a big yeah also so I I don't know um, maybe I'm sort of like sideways from having seen Florence Foster Jenkins or whatever but like she wasn't that <laughs> Wait, bad like I mean I guess she's not like metropolitan opera quality but I expected her to be like ears bleedingly bad and I'm pretty tone deaf so maybe she's worse than I realized but I was kind of like okay she she's a passable singer I don't know <laughs> she didn't offend so, me what for the opera scenes what mm-hmm. they did for that so I, I mean like what happens next she yeah. becomes an opera singer <laughs> she tries to get tutored by some guy who just doesn't want to rude European her. man oh, who has no, no time yeah. for her. <laughs> the way, um, so it was an like a fake opera written by Herman. Sure. And it was performed by an actual opera singer. Okay. But they had her performing in a key that is way too high for her. Oh, okay. Interesting. So it sounds, so it doesn't sound like comically bad. It's right. just not good. It's just because off. She's, right. It's yeah, not. because she's doing, she's singing things that she shouldn't really be singing. It's kind of like someone. I mean, I guess it, it would be. It's like someone who can sing but has no instruction or training, and yeah, like exactly. doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's so much better than it being just like overtly terrible and right. screechy, yeah. and she's missing notes. And it's, this is just like uh, this is awkward. Like this, right. this shouldn't be yeah. happening. It would it would be like... unbelievable, I guess, if she just literally was just right. like screeching, and you're like, okay, well, he just bought her. It would be Florence Foster Jenkins. Like that would be the plot yeah. of this um, section of the movie. But it, you're right; it makes more sense that she can sing, but she just would never be. She's not where an opera she singer. right. She's not an opera singer, and she wouldn't be leading these performances if it weren't for his influence. Yeah. Okay. Before In- we get too far, I want to. Revert one more time back to the uh, the uh, the blackmail scene. Oh yeah, um, it's a good scene. Do you think uh, Hitchcock has any uh, influence on Citizen Kane on the way he decides to shoot above people on staircases? Uh, I cannot I don't know. I think. So. I mean, the are you talking about like the psycho shot? Because that came. Yeah, I really can't years see that shot this. without psycho shot. But you mean vice versa? Like the psycho shot after this shot? Yeah. Hitchcock had to have been influenced by Citizen Kane. I don't know, because I, I think, and I would need to rewatch it, but I feel like in The Lodger he does similar things. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't. That is true. There There is that famous staircase scene in The Lodger. Yeah. Um, yeah, brief, I don't know. Brief staircase exactly diversion. According to Wikipedia, Wells oh, yeah, fully he's... toppled over the stair- staircase or over the railing when he was sh- at the end of that scene when he's shouting at the at Gettys as he's leaving. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I shouldn't ankle. laugh. Yeah, but he fell 10 feet and broke his ankles and had to direct from a wheelchair for a couple of weeks. Presumably, I'd li- I guess, like to imagine scenes he's, he's like, not in. Scene, scene. Right? Like, down as he's screaming. Uh, well, I was going to say, I, I have to imagine to he was... Gettys. Just like acting with such vigor that he just propelled himself down the staircase, which is a little bit funny because he was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so Wells was singing. physically damaged there. Yes. I think the most damaging thing to Kane's ego, though, is uh, 
Leland after um, Susan does her performance. Leland is writing the dramatic notice and he decides um, he's going to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that involves him needing to get hammered. Like, like, yeah, passed out, unrevivable drunk. <laughs> yeah. So um, in this scene, there's also, I guess it's in this scene. Um, it's one of these sequences with Leland where um, Wells comes to confront him. And um, the other guy, Bernstein. Bernstein. Thank Mr. you. Mr. Bernstein. Mr. Bernstein. Um, has, like, makes some comment, like, they haven't spoken in years or something about, mm-hmm. like, time in this movie, <laughs> like, and I know it's covering his whole life, but time just kind of moves on so quickly that I, I definitely lost all sense of, like, and he's getting older, so you can you mm-hmm. know yeah. that time is passing, but I didn't have a real sense of, I was very surprised, I was caught off guard with that line when he comes to confront him and is like, they haven't spoken in years. I'm like, what, what year is it? <laughs> How long has it been? There's a Yeah, there's a scene earlier in the movie where Leland um, wants to go to Chicago mm-hmm. and Kane tries to talk him out of it. So I assume that it's just they like, he goes to Chicago that. and since then they, gotcha. yeah, they kind of yeah. have an interaction. That makes sense. So uh, there's something I want to mention by uh, where both Mr. Bernstein and Leland are at the opera performance. And it's very similar to where they're sitting also at the Kane rally, which is... Bernstein's in these like rafters with these rich people and just having a good time. And uh, Leland is always kind of in these back rows with a bunch of like the more common folk. Mm -hmm. And he's just kind of, uh, he seems more invested in what's going on, at least at first in the opera. And then by the end, he's he's just ripping this program. Right. Yeah. Which is so funny. (laughs) It really is. Um, and I'm sure that's intentional, too, because, yeah, he's watching it with the people. Like, as a critic, he, yeah. you know, he's taking in the performance. And um, we and we I talk- think Bernstein's still a much better guy than uh, Kane is. But, like, oh, yeah, yeah, Bernstein yeah, totally. has has these lofty Kane-esque sort he, of he ambitions. Does, unlike- right. And he doesn't seem to have sort of, like, the path. Like, he just works for the paper. Like, he's not a reporter or yeah. anything, I don't think. So he doesn't have sort of a passion for the craft, like, you know... Leland, he who just, he is just a likes cultural the weapon critic, and likes the fun. Yeah, exactly. He likes being in the business. Um, we also didn't talk about um, speaking of the scenes and the special effects, um, the shots going from the stage up into the rafters with the stagehands. Like Ebert yeah. talks a lot about that and the sort of use of um, wipes and and cutting across the rafters to stitch and together. It looks so good. It looks so good. Like I think what you were saying before about a scene like this having as many special effects as something like Star Wars. Um, you know, it's, I think when we think about special effects, like these days, I think we just think CGI. Like, and we talked yeah. about this on Big the- Big creatures. And we talked about this during the Beauty and the Beast, the La Belle Labette episode also, which has tons of like special effects. It's just everything is done so practically, mostly in camera um, with like, and then editing tricks. Um, so yeah, very, mm. very impressive. All those shots in the theater. Um, but yeah, then, then the reviews start coming in and Leland has to write his review. <laughs> and he doesn't really write it, I guess. He, he writes maybe the first. He writes like an introduction and he writes, yeah, he writes a, a very tough uh, first line. <laughs> and then he says drunk. And then he's like, I can't do this anymore. Passes yeah. out. Yeah. What, what do you guys think of Kane's um, insistence that he writes it? That he finishes he, the, the review. The Kane, Kane, yeah, Kane decides to write the rest of it. 
is it him like sort of sticking it to Leland? Because it seems to go against his egomania. It, it does. It's it's one of the most interesting moments in the movie for me because I'm not sure. Like, I think it's kind of sticking it to Leland. I think it's trying to prove a point, I guess, which is that, you know, he is, there is still some honesty in him maybe. Like, I, I'm not sure exactly. The motivations there are very murky, um, but it's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder... Is it kind of like um, where people will be self-deprecating so that other people can't attack them? So he's like, you can't, you can't beat me, right? Uh, or or his wife. I'm going to do it in that way. Right. Your words. Right. He's exactly. Meaning. He's in. It sort of puts him as in on it. So yeah, you can't be taking us down because I'm in on this too. Kind of maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah that was interesting. She doesn't seem to take it that way. No. Um, she doesn't. This is the I mean, beginning to of... To be fair. This, no. Yeah, in fairness, like, she shouldn't... Yeah, she's... I mean, she gets a raw deal. She like, she does. Like, <sighs> she gets a raw deal. Um, but this is the beginning of, like, the fine... Her her role in, in mostly the, like, the final act of the movie, which is just she starts screeching when the reviews come in, and she pretty much keeps screeching for the rest of the time yeah. that she's on camera. Um, yeah. Which I don't love... And I don't, I don't think it's, like, a bad... Performance. I mean, that's what she's, you know, that's what the character's yeah, doing. Yeah, she's kind of written that way. She's written that way, but it is, like, as soon as that started, I was like, oh, okay, here's... Because until then, it had all been pretty subtle. Um, but, yeah, that's yeah. that's a pretty big... It goes one. back and forth in certain parts of it working for me, and then other times, it's yeah. like, oh, no, no, please don't. But I get Stop. the sense it's what Wells wanted. Like, I don't think she's giving yeah. anything in that performance that's not what he wanted from it. It, yeah. I th- it it does work for me, and I think the reason it does is because even though she does like, even even Ebert even mentions it in his commentary how, um, she's usually like up until then she's been pretty like, sweetly spoken and everything, she, mm-hmm. and then she becomes very like harsh when she's screaming at this time, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty jarring switch for her character it to really be, is. to be that like loud yeah. and, and angry, but. I think it fits really well with her character and with our perception of what's going on because mm-hmm. I don't ever feel like she's being like nagging or or ro- like she's right. right. Yeah. She's unequivocally yeah. right. Right. It's like you manipulate yeah. everything. Why are you putting me yeah. through this? <laughs> like he, Yeah, he's forcing her to do this thing that she doesn't right. want to do. She's the one who has to go out there. Right. And like, like just get have, embarrassed. Have people like mock her? Like you can hear people mocking right. her, and th- it's, the, like is the it, stagehands are yeah, plugging, plugging their noses. noses. Is it in her? Is it in the modern times when she's talking to the reporter, um, where she basically you know says like I didn't want to be a singer, like that was all yeah. him, like I was just happy mm. doing my thing. It was his aspirations. He he did all of that, and so yeah. you know, taking her at her word, um, it does. I think you're right. I think it it provides. It basically shows she's not unhappy necessarily just because the reviews are bad. I mean, she's unhappy because the reviews are bad, but it's how she was put in this position to be mm-hmm. the subject of this mockery and these bad reviews. Okay, I am I am more sympathetic towards her thinking of it that way. Yeah, and I, I mean, at least in my reading of the movie, I think they do a good job of not ever making you feel like, oh, why doesn't she just suck it up? No, no. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she... Um, Oh, and it's in the same scene. I I love this moment where Leland sends um, two pieces of paper back. Mm-hmm. Uh, one piece of paper is intact, and the other piece of paper is a check that has been. 
torn into little bitty pieces. So this is another piece of storytelling, right? Where we get, we find out what happened because of the reaction to it. Like we don't, like we find out that Wells fired him and sent him a $25,000 check. We don't see that mm-hmm. happen. All we find out that well, that's we see, right. We see him fire. We see him fire him. Right, right, right. Yeah. But the sending him the twenty five thousand dollar. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't see that. Right. Part. Okay. That that's another one where I was like, oh, okay. Uh, which again, twenty five thousand dollars. Like back then, yeah. That's a lot of money. I mean, well, yeah, not even back then. Even now. Even now, <laughs> if you were like yeah. for severance or whatever, yeah. yeah but yeah, then, but especially back yeah. then. Um, yeah. But yeah, he he sends his uh, fu uh, <laughs> message back in response. And yeah. Wells. Uh, proceeds to rip up the declaration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and in the commentary, Ebert says something that I think is really interesting that I wouldn't have really put together on my own. Leland sends something back, torn up, and it reaffirms his ethics, mm-hmm. yes. uh, which is the check. Right. Whereas huh. Kane tears up something and it is like the destruction of his ethics. Right. He's like his, his. That's why Leland's the heart of the movie. Right. They're proving yeah, Leland's yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that it's <laughs> yes. Leland. I just love Everett Sloan so much. I, like I in know, the parasol Everett thing. Sloan. I, I remember the first time I watched it in middle school, I was just obsessed with him because he's such like a funny weirdo. Exactly. Yeah. He's just such like... like He's so endearing. You were saying Dylan, too. He also, he's just sort of going along. Like He doesn't have sort of this intense... Uh, drive that that Leland does, and sort of it's, he just likes the parties. He's kind of along. He likes the right. rich people. He's he's f- likes being friends with Kane. He doesn't really take all this stuff personally. <laughs> he just kind of goes with the flow. He's the Jonah Hill of Wolf of Wall Street. There you go. Yeah. I'm not. There's. <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm, I'm way, kidding. There's... I'm, Nick, Nick, Nick. I'm kidding, man. Just. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Like I'm sure there's a, a yes and joke that I could follow that up with, but I don't want to. Fair enough. Although I think Kane would be better if there was a scene with Bernstein and uh, Kane taking quaaludes and just getting yeah. rocked out on a kitchen floor. Thank you. I, I was trying to figure out of like what scene in Wolf of Wall Street I could reference that wasn't gonna like get me canceled just for mentioning <laughs> the things they're doing. Was. Right? Like I was like, wouldn't it be funny if? Oh, nope, I don't want to say that out loud. Yeah, I can't say that joke. Yeah. No, we all we all know what. <laughs> All uh, the various things that, uh, yeah, oh god, anyways, good movie. Wolf of Moving Wall on, it's a very good one. Um, so Susan is finally like sort of allowed to discontinue her career when she has a failed suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, and the oh, she looks so rough, by the way, in that oh, scene yeah. when she's in the bed or the makeup the on makeup. her. Yeah. Oh, she looks like I literally looks like she's about to die. <laughs> like the actress, it's yeah, really good yeah. Uh, makeup. Yeah. And there's a line. I think it's I have it written down, and I think it's her looking back on it, not her at the time, but I'm I'm not positive. But she says the whole audience just doesn't want you, mm-hmm. like yeah. in terms of her career. Yeah. Like, you can see why years later, when they're reminiscing, she's become sort of like this just kind of curmudgeon alcoholic like her, her life has been just so awful during this phase with kane that yeah yeah and and kane takes it all personally himself and can't right. even see her side yeah, yeah. There, the clapping scene where he's like i must demand that everyone clap and clapping he's like a standing Ugh. Yeah. yeah and then 80 years later shia labeouf <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so then we we cut to her in Xanadu. Um, she's doing jigsaw puzzles mm-hmm. in a 
like a gigantic room to do jigsaw puzzles in. Like it's the biggest room that anyone's (laughs) ever done a jigsaw puzzle in, I think. (laughs) Probably true. Again, another special effects shot is, I think they said that Kane is in a separate shot from her, like all together, and they had to stitch that apart to make the room look huge. Oh, interesting. They couldn't get a set that big. Sure. It's a big room. That's pretty gaudy. Uh, Mm -hmm. As I'm talking about, there's just some parts I'm just like, a little too much style. That's another one. No, but I But I do think it's a good representation of how stupidly big Xanadu is and how literally empty it is as well. Yeah, that's the point is that um, it's it's way too much, but it's supposed to be way too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's he's supposed to be just obscenely (laughs) wealthy and he's, you know, got this gigantic place that it's far too big for two people and in about 10 minutes it's way way too big for <laughs> one, one person, person. <laughs> yep so she's yeah. lonely at xanadu and he's like oh we still have like guests here there's probably still mm-hmm. guests hiding here yeah and it's like oh my god right like it's so yeah. big there's probably just they have their own villas and no one's there yeah yeah and he just doesn't get it like he doesn't no. get what she means by her loneliness like yeah. yeah, they can have parties and they can have people here and they can have guests, but that's not really the kind of life she wants to live or the companionship she wants. So she leaves him. Wait, uh, wait, hold on, hold on. Th- in the party, yeah. did you guys know who's playing the piano in that party scene? No. No. It's Nat King Cole. Really? Really? I had no yeah. idea. I was looking at the letterbox cast list. And I was like, the fuck Nat King Cole is in this movie? That's like, crazy. Wow, that's a Can you imagine being a twenty five year old director and be like, yo, Nat King Cole, can you come be in my movie for one scene? <laughs> like and we're not gonna focus on you right. at all. No, no, you there's like one semi close up shot of you, but even then, no, yeah. not really. Interesting. Um This scene in the party scene also has one of my favorite sound effects in it which is um when kane slaps her and uh you know she kind of freaks out and becomes determined to leave Mm -hmm. you hear a woman screaming in the background and you can't tell if it's laughter or she's like being assaulted and it brings this like horrible mood of like helplessness and flight that and that 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 sound that they put in the scene is just so impactful to me. I don't know if you guys mm. picked up on that, but it's I did. Really good. I did. No, that's interesting. So I th- I think one other um, sort of example of how egocentric Kane is is that when she tells him she's leaving him, mm-hmm. he says, "You can't do this to me." Yeah, and she I says, know. What "Oh, it's." It's you that this is being done to. Mm-hmm. He yeah. just doesn't. He doesn't think of her as anything other than, um, like, like something. Yeah, like an extension else. of it's, himself. Basically, it's like everything just revolves around. Yeah, she's yeah. something to, to keep his arm around mm-hmm. in pictures. Yeah. So yeah. then, Susan, modern day Susan, refers um, him to the butler mm-hmm. who tells us about the first time he heard Rosebud. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things in any movie ever is after the butler, we cut to 
um, Kane destroying Susan's room. Mm-hmm. But it cuts on <laughs> a cockatoo. <laughs> <laughs> For Which no is reason. the most insane like jump scare. It's a such movie a strange edit. Yeah. I love it. I so vividly much. remember seeing it for the first time just being like, ah, oh my God. Yeah, it's such a strange edit. Every movie should do that. <laughs> At some point, they should cut to a giant bird just screeching. Right. Yeah, and, and they accidentally do not put the eye of the uh, yeah, bird. Yeah. Right. Which makes it even more horrifying. Makes it, yeah. It's so, so messed up. <laughs> which I don't even understand that. Like, <laughs> how did, where did the eye go? It's not like it's a drawing, it's a real bird. No, they just they didn't cut that part out. Maybe I don't. So you'd have weird. to do extra work to do that. You would think. According, according to Ebert, it's a mistake. But yeah, yeah. No, in in Wells know. too, because I think in the Bogdanovich commentary, I think he says he asked him about it, and it might have been it might have been a different interview, but somebody else says they asked him about it. And he's like, oh, eh. Oops. <laughs> didn't give it that much thought. Okay. Um, so he destroys her room after she left him um, and grabs a snow globe, looks at it, mutters to Rosebud as he walks away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's really the last of um, Charles Foster Kane that we see because the, the rest of the movie is just the reporters kind of discussing, mm-hmm. yeah, we never figured out what Rosebud was. Yeah, We, get, we do and get some good shots of him walking alone around yeah. the house oh, that yeah. I'm the sure I say Dylan wants to bring up the mirror shot. Yeah. Oh, the, I didn't want to bring up the mirror shot. Yeah. I wanted to bring up a production <laughs> note, which is uh, they only had one take to ruin the entire uh, bedroom. Oh, the, yeah. room, the bedroom. Yeah. And so uh, Orson's like, I got to go full out on this. Hey. And at one point, he he slaps uh, like something, and it cuts his entire hand open to the <sighs> point that he needed stitches. And so there, there's a point where he just starts trying to like hide his hand and starts hitting everything else with his left hand because he knows like <laughs> we can't cut this. And so he was supposed to pick up the globe, and you can tell with like the way he's uh, he walks over to the globe. He's supposed to pick it up with the right hand that he cut. Mm. And he, he there's this moment where he starts to move his hand, and then he like jumps back, and it's like oh, there, if I. Open my hand up. This entire, like the 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 coated air is just gonna be like, oh no! And so he has to like go over and grab it with his left hand instead, and it looks so awkward, but it like adds to like this weird like, oh no! Energy, uh, yeah. My snow globe. Real, real, very real apocalypse now moment. uh, Slicing his hand open. Yeah. (laughs) Or or Leo and uh, Django. Oh sure. Sorry, he's got to come back to Leo. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, Also. This is interesting because I'd never seen this until Ebert pointed it out. But you can see the snow globe on uh, Susan's desk in the very first scene where they're at hmm. when she he's at her bedroom, and that's when the the first shot that you see the snow globe in. That's when he starts getting all perked up and interested because that's also the scene where the shot where she mentions like I don't know who you are, Mister. Hmm. So yeah. interesting. He thought he could reclaim his child with her, with her but he yeah. was just a massive controlling ass. Yeah. So then the reporters kind of say, hey, I wonder uh, if figuring out Rosebud would have put all this into place for us. Mm-hmm. The one guy concludes, no, I don't think so. Like, he says, uh, Mr. Kane was a man who got everything he wanted and then lost it. Maybe Rosebud was something he couldn't get or something he lost. Anyway, it wouldn't have explained anything. I don't think any word can explain a man's life. I guess Rosebud is just a piece 
a, a piece in a jigsaw puzzle, a missing piece. And then we see Rosebud for a brief second as mm-hmm. it is being thrown into the fire. It's, of course, if people didn't know, his sled. His, his sled, which had been shown multiple times earlier in the movie, but always conveniently where you couldn't see yeah. the full writing that was on <laughs> the sled right, itself. Right. Yeah, It was either covered in snow or they show it at one point and it's kind of like halfway cut off. Um, it was interesting watching it this time, knowing that and sort of watching the sled and being like, oh, they're always carefully not showing you the part where it says Rosebud. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's sort of like the whole MacGuffin of the movie ends up not really having mattered because, yeah, we learn what Rosebud is, but even if we hadn't, we sort of get, like, what right. that shot is going for. Right. And I think, excuse me, I think we're supposed to agree with the reporter who basically says it's not, doesn't really matter. We wouldn't know yeah. any more about him if we knew what that word meant. You know, what they learned about him by going and talking to all these people to find out about the word. Um, but the word itself is not ultimately what matters. Yeah. The real rosebud was the friends we made along I mean, I, obviously, that's exactly correct. <laughs> I wish that's that would have been the final line of the movie. Uh, that's the only uh, thing that would have made the movie better is if he yeah. said the real Rosebud. That's what friends that's why, along the way. That's why Vertigo finally uh, topped <laughs> it on the last right. side of uh, But yeah, and then it it cuts back to the you know we see well two things one um, very um, Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes with like just mm-hmm. the big like unknowable piles of stuff with the you know what we know is the important piece no one knows anything about um i find it very stressful that they're just burning all that stuff you can't like there aren't some poor people out there like a a poor kid would love to have that slut what what are you doing um they're burning all the (laughs) stuff and then when it cuts to the shot outside the house of like just like the black smoke just you know billowing out i'm just like oh this is this is bad in so many ways, uh, but it's very—it's a very effective ending. Just to see, it's like, yeah, his whole, his whole world is is all going up in smoke. And what did he really leave behind? Nothing. Good, good movie. Good movie. It was okay. So <laughs> we got to talk about the Ebert thing because yeah. it's so far. Uh, I don't know if he does this any in any of his subsequent ones, but it's the only. Um, Review that comes with the viewer's companion. Yeah. I which is look, awesome. It's so good. Like, people should really check it out. I don't know if it's available outside of the book. Let's see what I can find. Like, if on his online... Um, yeah, on the website or anything. Um, I hope I can spell companion. The main yeah, one I want to touch on is the deep focus section. Because mm-hmm. we completely skipped over one of the major deep focus scenes, which is... Uh, when Kane comes back after losing and has his conversation with uh, Leland in the offices. And uh, it goes back and forth between, like, Kane looks like a god because he's, like, standing right in front of the camera to Kane looking super small because he walks, like, past Leland and he's, like, super tiny in this, mm-hmm. like, really enclosed room. Um, just, it looks so good. And they do that again with the mirrors in that one scene where he's giving up his... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, newspaper, which Ebert yeah. also remarked on in the commentary and in the review. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I love that just perspective of how big and also how punily small this guy was. Yeah. So it, it is on his website. Yeah. It's called A Viewer's Companion to Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. And it's. Um, yeah, it's on RogerEbert.com. 
breaks down a lot of the special effects, uh, set design type stuff, optical illusions, yeah. the wipes. Yeah, the, the good talks news. about the hat. See, the good news, bad news is uh, I, I Googled this, and the good news was by Googling Roger Ebert viewer's companion, it took me directly to this page which is great the bad news is i think that means there aren't any other viewers companions because yeah. it was only citizen kane results yeah. which is too bad i would love it if he did this for mm. other movies it's really really yeah. interesting yeah you guys have any quotes from this is yeah, this is a really good essay um it's yeah. so good the yeah, last few really have good. been just excellent. yeah he's he's it. he's been on a real roll after a couple of kind of duds you go with you go ahead first dylan uh, my quote is Rosebud is the emblem of security, hope, and it's of childhood, which a man can spend his life seeking to regain. It is the green light at the end of Gatsby's Pier, the leopard atop a Kilimanjaro seeking nobody knows what, the bone tossed in the year of 2001. Yep, my ha- I had quote. that highlighted too. That's very good. Which I didn't know about the leopard in Kilimanjaro, but did a fun deep dive on Google. That's cool. I'll look that up. Uh, very cool. Mm-hmm. What quote did Janet? you have, Janet? Um, I liked the part um, uh, where he talks about it. It's towards the end um, where it talks about what we just talked about. This is long, sorry. Where he says, Citizen Kane knows the slut is not the answer. It explains what Rosebud is, but not what Rosebud means. The film's construction shows how our lives, after we are gone, survive only in the memories of others, and those memories butt up against the walls we erect and the roles we play. Is that what you have too? Yep. <laughs> I have the same thing highlighted. <laughs> well, starred, so. Nick, Nick's holding up his book to the yeah, camera right see. now on Zoom of just the whole section Janet just yeah. read. Yeah. It's good. It's so good. And then the, the second half of that paragraph, which I didn't read, is also really good too, where he says, there is the cane who made shadow figures with his fingers and the cane who hated the tra- traction trust, the cane who chose his mistress over his marriage and political career, the cane who entertained millions, the cane who died alone. It's so good. Yeah. Just incredible writing from yeah. Rasha there. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so, thumbs? Where are your guys' thumbs setting up for me? Up. 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 Okay. I'll give a thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, <laughs> Dylan, how many stars? Three. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Four. <laughs> it's, I don't believe that for it, a second. It's four stars for me, also. <laughs> yeah, and it's absolutely a four for me. This is like a top fiver of all time for me. I, uh, Oh, apparently we have trick-or-treaters right now. That's not good. Nope. Just just what? to be clear, uh, we are recording on the afternoon of October 25th, just to put that yeah. in context. This is not Halloween, and, and it's not the... Halloween's on a, Halloween's on a it's Saturday. It's next Saturday. It's 4 o'clock right now. I don't know. Also, we're not allowed to do trick-or-treating here, not that I get trick-or-treaters in my apartment complex. We shouldn't be allowed Halloween to Halloween get... is canceled in L.A., so... Yeah, we Which... shouldn't be allowed to do trick-or-treating <laughs> don't go, here. Don't, don't go exchange things with strangers right now. Come on, people. Uh-oh. Ohio's not doing great. Yeah. Uh, much like the rest of the country, <laughs> are people out of their minds? Anyways, that's yeah. a big. <laughs> like that's a whole Jesus. other situation. Um, anyways, I this is probably a top five of all time for me. I think it. I think it's very worthy of its reputation as uh, one of, if not the greatest films of all time. I just absolutely, absolutely love this movie. I love everything about it. It's fun. I think it's easy to watch. It looks mm. great. Sounds great. It really is. Yeah. Wells is great. Yeah, Everyone okay. else is great. It's great. Great. It's great. Uh, do you guys want to do a very quick uh, what you've been watching? Sure. Yep. I watched quite a lot uh, this past week. Gosh, I guess I did uh, too. 
We we discussed Minari, right? We all watched Minari. Um, I don't think we did. I don't know if, I, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think we did. We, I don't think I, we did. We didn't record last weekend, so I think we're like two weeks yeah, back. Yeah, but we all watched stuff. Minari. We did. That was good so movie. freaking good. Good movie. A uh, little bit of, little little cry. Just a little. <laughs> didn't hurt too much. Um, I also have watched the first three Decalogues, which um, are the ones I am hosting. And I didn't really remember two and three very well, but I think after watching one through three, I, I think I got the worst section of the Decalogue toast. Or it, the worst of the, the stories that I can remember. Um, I also saw Cloud Atlas. That was a rewatch with my parents, and I actually really liked it a lot more than I did. I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, this is pretty good. Um, but, uh, it, I mean, it's a hard story to coalesce into a film, but this time it was... A lot better thematically, I think. Uh, I watched The Trial of the Chicago 7, which so did Janet. And Nick, did you watch that yet? No, not yet. Well, we have some differing opinions on that in the podcast so far. I, uh, Jana, uh, I think very, it's fine. Yeah. And I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those things where I can't get worked up enough to defend it. It's like, I, I don't feel passionately about it. Um, I, I enjoyed I, I didn't think it, I'd get worked up but... to, enough to hate it, but... Yeah. This is my joker. That's so that that to me is just wow. I get not liking it if you just don't like Sorkin's thing cuz you know, Sorkin's not not leaning into it um as as he moves on as a filmmaker. Um yeah. I I think you also compared it to Hacksaw Ridge, which is where you really lost me. Um <laughs> I guess well, anyway. Just, I was just comparing I'm it to like, like there's a, a movie every year in the Oscars that for some reason sure. I just hate and that was my yeah. year. That's funny. Um, I will say no one's um, like guts spill out of them in the tri- trial of Chicago <laughs> Seven. Spoiler alert! So no, it's already God, better than hated Hexar Ridge. Hexar Ridge is such a bad movie. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's fine. I still it's on Netflix. If people like Aaron Sorkin, I do recommend it. If you don't, I, I think, don't yes, think you need you to like waste Sorkin, your time with it. Is pretty it. much my my take on the movie. I, I'll, I'll probably watch it again. Um, you know, I tend to rewatch Sorkin stuff a lot, so. I also watched this weird movie called Little Fugitive, which was going off of Criterion, which is supposedly where the French New Wave began in Coney Island, New York, which is funny that that's where the first movie that all the French New Wave people got their influence from. But it was pretty good. Um, Didn't love it, but still pretty solid. And then lastly, the big one, I watched and then immediately rewatched Albert Brooks's Real Life, which is quite possibly one of my all-time favorite movies and ebert gave it one star in his review (laughs) and i am now going to formally announce that for the season finale of this when we talk about an ebert hated movie i would like to discuss albert brooks's (laughs) real life he gave it he gave it one star yes one (laughs) crazy interesting all right and i think it was perfect beyond perfect it was just so good uh yeah that was what i watched a lot of stuff all right, so I'll, I'll I'll go next. Um, yeah, um, watched a bunch of things. Finished up festival movies. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Minari. Um, watched the last New York Film Festival movie I watched was Undine. I think is how we decided it's pronounced. Nick, right? Undine. 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 Um, the the new Christian Petzold movie. Uh, which I really liked. I liked more than I, I thought I would. The reviews have been a little bit mixed on it. I um, I don't know that I like it as much as his last two movies, um, but it's 
fascinating, definitely worth a watch. Um, suggest Googling the myth of Undina if you're going to yeah. watch it, because otherwise it is nonsensical, <laughs> but it, it's, it's well acted and it looks beautiful, and Christian Petzold's a good filmmaker. Um, I also, my other two f- film festival movies that I think I'm done with those for the year for now, um, I watched Regina King's One Night in Miami um, as part of the Mill Valley Film Festival, which was pretty good. I can't wait. I don't want to talk about it a ton because basically nobody's seen it yet. Um, but it's it's good. Um, I didn't like it as much as I'd hoped I would, but it's got some real fun performances um, that'll definitely be worth talking about, and it looks really good. And then I watched um, another film as part of AFI Fest called Wolf Walkers, which is the new oh, animated so film from Cartoon Saloon. Um, and it's sort of a part of a loose trilogy of Irish folk tales with um, The Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea. These are also the people who made The Breadwinner, if anyone saw that a few years ago. So it's good. Such a be- like, Wolf Walkers is such a beautiful movie. Um, it's, a real, it's a really sweet movie. And you guys know I don't normally flip for animated stuff in general. But, oh, it just – it was very good. Um, last couple things. Yesterday I watched the movie Aliens for the first time. Because um, I wanted to listen to the Blank Check podcast commentary <laughs> to go along with it, and I'd never seen it before. Uh, fun movie, Aliens. I really got a kick out of it. That was uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I've movie. seen Alien a bunch, and I loved Alien, but I'd never seen Aliens. Very different, very fun. And then I, which one do you prefer? You know, I assumed that I would prefer Alien because I like sort of the more stark horror vibe. But I liked Aliens. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, it's, it's so good. Um, it's just like kind of a perfect action movie. Um, I don't know yeah. why I'm surprised by that. It's a James Cameron movie. Mm. Um, but it was kind of a perfect action movie. I really liked it uh, way more than I expected to. Um, and then I rewatched American Utopia yesterday because I hadn't rewatched <laughs> it yet. And it's good. And people should run and watch American Utopia on HBO Max right now if you haven't yet because it's good. Yep. Hello. What about you, Nick? Nick. Mer- um, so I also watched Indina and I agree it's good. Uh, I, it, I didn't like it as much as, um, last year's transit mm-hmm. and Phoenix, I think is like a masterpiece, but it's still definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the Polanski and the Wells versions of Macbeth, um, which are both pretty good. I also watched another Wells called the immortal story, which I think is his shortest movie. It's like just over an hour and it's basically like, it feels sort of like a play, um, for better or worse. It's it's good. It's not as good as a lot of his other stuff, but I liked it. Um Minari is very good. Um uh, let's see what else. I watched Understatement. Yeah. I watched two um Bergman movies that are both sort of spin-offs, I guess, of uh Scenes from a Marriage. One is his final film called Saraband, which is the couple from Scenes from a Marriage, uh like forty years after the fact or something like that, when they're both quite old. Um and then the other is in the first episode of scenes from a marriage, there's a couple that the family uh, that the main couple have dinner with. And this movie from the life of the marionettes is sort of like a spinoff of them. Only it's not even the same actors. It's just people with the same name and a terrible uh, marriage. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. It's interesting. Um, I watched American utopia, which is an absolute joy. I watched the lady Eve, which is also an absolute joy. I it's watched the- best yeah oh we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about that more in about a dozen letters uh i cannot wait in the book um i watched time which janet talked about a few weeks ago with the new documentary that is on amazon prime right now that is a great 
great documentary. It's so good. It's really yeah. so good. And then I watched um, Panic in the Streets last night, which is a Kazan movie. It's sort of a noir, but the like it's about people trying to solve a crime. But the reason they're trying to solve a crime is not just because there was a crime, but because the victim had... Uh, he would have died if not for having been shot. He was in the midst of dying from the plague. And other people in town start to get sick. So they're in a race against the clock to solve this crime because there's a plague that's about to erupt in this town. Which, cool. uh, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yep. Pretty yeah. timely. Yeah. So interesting movie. Um, yeah. Nice. I will say, Dylan, because I think you made a face. Um, because I know you were sort of reluctant to watch Time, even though I've been trying to give you the hard sell and Nick liked it too. I will say that I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't think you would enjoy it. And I do think you would enjoy it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch but it at it's, some point. I just, uh, you know, it's, it, it puts you through the ringer a little bit, but not yeah. like in a, you know, not without not without a purpose, I, I will say. Yeah. Um, good movie, guys. I th- yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I've seen some good documentaries between say, that and this uh, is a real good documentary year. I don't usually yeah. have documentaries now, in my top ten, and I have like three right now, which is crazy. Yeah. And does do American too. Utopia count as a documentary? I don't know. I'm not counting. That doesn't. Then I would have four. <laughs> so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not even counting American Utopia. Wait, what are your three? That it's uh, uh, Dick Johnson, Time, and it, uh, Bloody Nose, Empty uh, Pockets. Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Yes. Yeah, so. uh, which is right. like. Did you guys watch that again? Um. I bought it on iTunes. I bought it on iTunes. Oh, well, I watched it yeah, through a well. through like an Alamo Virtual Cinema, but it is available on iTunes now. Um, and like that is it available to rent or is that it just I don't. It was it was buy, but I'm not sure if it's. Yeah, I'm not sure. Let's let's do I'll a have to buy it. I'm not sure if I'll let's watch do it. a very quickly um, a very quick search. Do 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 do. Oh, okay. Well, I can't tell because it just is telling me to hit yeah, play yeah, on it, it because I already own it, yeah. so it's not giving me yeah, the okay. options. Well, look into it. So maybe. Um, yeah. yeah, I have I have Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, and, and American Utopia both in my top five, and then I have Dick Johnson and Time both in my top ten. Um, so, wow. which is crazy, and it's a weird year, I guess. Also, yeah, it's a weird but, year, um, but that's still pretty. But all those movies uh, are great. Yeah, that's I'm real high on all those movies. So, speaking of another movie we are high on, uh, next week, if you would like to watch City Lights with us, mm-hmm. uh, it is available right now streaming on the Criterion channel, on Canopy, on HBO Max, and it is available to rent at the usual place. Or I don't know if it's available to rent on Prime, but it's available on iTunes at least. Mm-hmm. But it's available for free at those other places if you're a subscriber to those. So, City Lights, the Chaplin movie. Uh, very it's excited the to best. Yeah, very excited to rewatch that. Um, I may try to watch that with my kid. I'll see if she will tolerate uh, watching. It's not that long. It's one of it's the slower short. chaplains, I would say. Yeah, she's she's watched a, a, a decent amount of Modern Times and liked it. She loves it when he yeah, falls into the Yeah, I think Modern Times is a little faster. Yeah. Um, but Chaplin yeah. is just in generally a little bit slower than Keaton. I think Keaton would probably be a better like silent starter. She's watched more of Keaton uh, yeah. than Chaplin, but she does love the clip from City Lights when the guy falls into the gears or when the breakfast sure. or the food thing feeds him the corn. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, so City Lights is coming up. You can find more uh, of our stuff at Twitter or on Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod, and you can find 
our buddy Scott Brady on Twitter at SBradyArtist. He does our artwork. And that is all. We will see you folks awesome. next week with City Lights. Woo. Woo. Roger out. Roger out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. Recording. Record. Record. Alrighty. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to the Great Movies Pod. Erector. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting that in the end. Alright. That's fine. <laughs> it's a it's a running bit on my other show that I just like I f- can't talk. <laughs> I was say you don't usually mess up. Words you're so or you're so composed on our show though. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it two more times now. It's in my head. <laughs> Damn great. Hello and welcome to the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Ruined me. I'm sorry. Yikes. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs>